0: You're listening to Medicine for the Resistance. Troy was so smart last time, and this could only be better with Joy here, so.
1: <laughs> oh God, we're in trouble. <laughs>
2: hey,
1: be smart, Troy. Try and be smart. <laughs>
2: I mean, couldn't be more perfect,
1: right? But oh, yeah. There's just
0: so much happening, right? Like, this has been a really bonkers week. <laughs> in Native Twitter. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, the, I don't even know. I don't even, because we had the list, mm-hmm. right, where everybody was kind of losing their mind about the list, and then some anti-Blackness that was happening mm-hmm. as a result of the list. And then, you, you know, and then kind of, I, I saw uh, like what was trending was seven days of fighting in Palestine. And I'm like, no, that's, let's talk about seven consecutive days. Cause it's been like, what? Mm-hmm. How many,
2: how many hundreds, you know, almost a hundred years we're coming up to now, like stop it. Yeah.
0: And then conversations cause, and then we're talking about global indigeneity, right? That being indigenous is more than just living here in North America, which is something that, you know, I've kind of been unpacking for myself over the last year. Um, you know, and then there's conversations happening, you know, well, who is indigenous in, you know, in Palestine, in the Levant area, you know, who's indigenous um, and, and and what claims does that give them to land,
3: you know, what, cl- you know, what
0: claims does that give them? Um, and do we rest <coughs> our claims on land solely to being indigenous? I mean, even here, it's all migrations, right? Like the Anishinaabeg started and then we moved east and then we came back and there's tribes that exist now that didn't exist, you know, like the Métis, right? They didn't exist at the time of contact. Mm -hmm. And yet they are a distinct indigenous people and what's there, you you know, so all of these conversations are so complicated. And then into the midst of these complicated, you, you know, difficult conversations, of course, rides Daniel as he was. <laughs> <laughs> bringing this beautiful voice of reason and recognition was, you know so it, it's just anyway these, these conversations so oh, I can't think of two people that I would rather have this conversation you know for Carrie and I to have this conversation I, than Troy and Troy.
3: Oh, wow. And
1: we rhyme? <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's exciting to exciting to be, to be back and uh and to meet to meet Joy online. At least uh I heard about
1: you. Yeah, it's but, been yeah. it's my pleasure. I remember watching you um, I guess a couple months ago when you're on, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like just totally blown my mind. And I said it to Patty and she's like, Yes, let's do a show. I'm like, Yes, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> <I'll be back. laughs> let's figure this out because yeah, it's a lot. <laughs>
2: Uh, I I agree. There's so much complexity. You're we're we're talking about Palestine, and we're talking about the this these roots of where do we put roots down? What is indig- indigeneity? What is all of these spaces? And I um, was thinking about Burma, or A.K.A. Um, Myanmar, and um, that brave you know stance that that young woman who was at I'm not sure if you guys heard about it the Miss Universe pageant, mm. and he held up a sign saying, pray for us. Um, we're being persecuted or we're being killed, I think the message said. Mm. And it once again made me think about how precarious, you know, these spaces are, how the colonial system really has this rinse and repeat way of creating um, the same kinds of spaces, these genocides that are created all the ways through um, the way of being. I was thinking about China and the Uyghur tribes, uh, that the Muslim Islamic-based tribes that are being, you know, we, we, we really have no idea to the scope and scale. I have been fascinated recently with North Korea. And just even just the very existence and the structure of how North Korea even exists in its realm, and all of these pieces led me back to this idea, and really you know maybe I'm posing a question for all of us: where do we begin when we think about breaking this question down you know um the right to be forced off of our land, this space of, of massacre that seems to be such an integral part of the bloodletting. That's such an, imp- an integral part of what is, why, and why we take over land. And, and then finally, how the resources, because I noticed that we touch certain places you know, we protest about certain places more so than others because resources are advantageous to maybe, um, you know, more so than for some of the colonial structures that exist. And it makes it maybe advantageous for us to make a, mo- a movement in those spaces versus others. I just um, I've been very sad this week. You know, I had to step away because of all of it, as you mentioned. There's been so much. I'm just gonna breathe now.
3: <laughs> so I don't, I don't even know where where one can start. We have to, we each have to start, I guess, where we are. And as you pointed out, like what's going on in Palestine has been going on. You know, it's 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 73 years since the Nakba st- started, and it's been going on. You know, since then, although. The roots go back even further than that, and and so you know we can't. That didn't just start this week, and we didn't just start relating to colonialism this week. The, the four of us, and uh, we didn't just start relating to genocide and racism either this week. So, I think we're all situated in ways that give us insights into into uh, these these topics, but also blind each of us in, in different ways too. So it's it's good to. I, when when I was a kid, uh, my dad got a job in Beirut in Lebanon, and we were there before the civil war. And our house was just, just up the hill from a Palestinian refugee camp. So a lot of the kids I played with before I was there before I started school. And then I did first grade in Beirut. And so a lot of kids I played with, not a lot, some of the kids I played with were from the refugee camp. And it was, it's um, and then later when we came to this country, it was like, and seeing just the blatantly anti-Palestinian bias of the media, it was, it was, it was a real shock because, because, you know, these are people who were kicked out of their home because somebody else wanted it. And uh, and of course Lebanon wasn't doing a great job of taking care of them either it was you know that was, that was the big shame was that all these refugees were treated treated so poorly in the, in the countries that took that they that they went to but um you know those those people who those little kids who are, are my age they're in their 50s now you know and uh, and they've got kids and maybe grandkids and and there's their generations that have been born in exile and, and uh, meanwhile now we have this thing going on in Israel itself where where uh, Arab, israelis are being targeted by jewish israelis and and some vice versa too it's it's, it's but it, we're we're getting just street fighting between we're not even talking about palestinians we're talking about different groups of israeli citizens based on their uh, ethnicity and their religion yeah
1: it's interesting because um i have of course been i i live on social media and so just watching the discussions go on on twitter and It's interesting to see a lot of the activists for Palestine, which is great, but they kind of like, I've seen some memes where it's like, oh, just give, you know, Canada, this part of um, Israel, this part of Canada or the US. I'm just like, (laughs) I'm like, okay, friends, no, we're not going to be doing this, right? Because we're talking about colonization, but I'm surprised by how little a lot of the activists understand that they're currently living in occupied states like i'm just like wow like really like canada us and you know i'm i've been quiet about for most of the weeks i'm just like okay you know what i'm just gonna let people have their space but i'm like come on like you know like and i'm watching like black and indigenous twitter we're just kind of saying yep that's the playbook there's the playbook check 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 and like we know this we've been through this we've done this you know for you know 500 years on this continent right and so and in many places much longer and so I'm like okay let's you know and finally I said something I'm like okay you know what we need to kind of understand that this is a global issue and that you know we are still currently working in occupied states as is and so the state of Canada the state of U.S. right Mexico you know (laughs) and as you see like you know the countries that are supporting Israel you know A lot of them have, like, a huge, long, giant history of, you know, occupation and colonialism and genocide behind them. And it's just like, this isn't a surprise, folks. And so, I mean, but it's good because I've had a lot of great conversations with people who did not know this. And so I'm kind of like, okay, let's educate. I'm kind of prickly about it, but (laughs) I'm going to, you know, do this in good faith. And so, and I mean, it's just been, you know, like, patty said a week because you know i'm coming off a week of like serious anti-black racism within indigenous communities as is too so it's like okay let's what's up now right (laughs) it's a new type of you know i don't know uh fallout of hatred fallout of genocide fallout of colonialism it's just like okay and yeah which way is it going to you know smack us in the head this week I, it just it kind of feels like that I'm just like waiting for what's going to happen next week is it going to be something else so it's been a uh, yeah interesting two weeks I guess
0: when I think it's some of it is that we don't have a solid understanding of what indigenous is right uh, particularly in Canada because of the way we use the word um, you know uh, yeah we, we just we don't have a really solid understanding of it so that's where I'm gonna kind of punt over to Troy so you know if you could kind of give us that global you know that you know, because not everybody also thinks of themselves as indigenous right like not all countries have that same kind of history where they would have a settler indigenous kind of binary i hate binaries but you know because they they're never they're never that clear and distinct you know <laughs> but if maybe you could kind of help us out so that we're at least working from the same understanding, at least in this conversation.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, but the thing is, I, I hate to jump in and say this is what indigenous means because, because indigenous is a contested term and it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. used differently in different places geographically, but also in different contexts. And, and uh, um, you know, I guess, I guess what, what I got, got some, some attention for on Twitter a few months back f- was basically for, for putting up other people's ideas who I, that i teach in the classroom about you know indigeneity isn't is uh not an identity it's an analytic and it has to do with our relationship to land our relationship to settler colonial states and that our identities are you know in my case sami and in other cases other indigenous nations uh and cultures uh that's that's that and so we have you know indigenous there are five thousand indigenous languages in the world um and if each of those is, is a, a different cultural group then we're really dealing with a lot of diversity it's 90 percent of human diversity is indigenous so it's hard to say any one thing about all indigenous people are this or do this because that's we've got most of the world's cultures and 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 yet then as 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 daniel heath justice was was reminding us on twitter uh you pointed it out patty to me today and it was it was really worth looking at again is is that it's not just a political definition either because our relationship to land is is it's everything it's not just it's not just political, at least for for many of us, it's not. And uh, for many of our cultures, we derive our very personhood, our peoplehood, our our be you know our spiritual identity is all connected to 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 land and water. So so yeah, I mean, what what it, what Indigenous is Canada from a double outsider in the U.S. I'm not Indigenous to the U.S., but I've lived here for a long time, and I. I, I kind of I kind of am like another settler in the U.S. In, in the sense that I've been here for for much of my life, whereas Canada is is a place I observe from the outside. But it seems like in both the United States and and in Canada, Indigenous is often used primarily domestically to refer to groups that are Indigenous within. The borders of the of the Canadian settler state or the are the U.S. settler state because because there's so many different groups and, and what other you know what terms does one have? You can say Native American or Aboriginal or First Nation. So rather than just listing all the all the many hundreds of nations, people might use that term. But then you know there's there's Indigenous peoples in all over the Pacific and in much of Asia and in much of Africa and even even a few places in Europe. And uh, and it, it has to do with this this colonial colonized relationship where we really you know i'll talk about the about the sami we we have a really deep connection to SAPMI, our land and water uh that is which we you know in our our way of viewing it it's animated It's, it's we we ask permission from the water when we take water we ask permission from a place a piece of land before we build a house there we the settler states norway sweden finland and russia come in Came in in recent time, historically, you know, within the last 500 years, came in and extended their borders through our land and claimed it as theirs. And and uh, then there was all the boarding schools and all that stuff. And those are similar histories uh, because there's sort of a similar playbook that comes from that comes from a, a certain way of looking at the world. At land is something that isn't an ob- is a dead object that we can just buy and sell and parcel up and own. And coupled with the idea that with the will to take that land from other people. And and so so we've experienced that. Pe- people, First Nations of Canada and the U.S. and Australia, uh, New Zealand have experienced that. Um, the Ainu in, in, in Northern Japan have experienced that. It's, I wouldn't say that the Ainu and all, all the many different uh, Aboriginal nations in Australia and the Maori of New Zealand and all the Canadian First Nations and, and the Inuit and the Metis and all the Native Americans and Alaska Natives and, and uh, Kanaka Maoli in the U.S., are all the same. We're not. We're so radically different from each other in so many ways. But we share this, we share this, the important, our, a similar way of relating to our land and water.
2: I, that brings up for me a question when, you know, first of all, Troy, you're always so brilliant. And, and when you put it out there in the way that you just did, I'm like, wow, it is really a vast, vast space. And then when you put the number on it at 90%, I went, that's everybody, pretty much, you know. Um, but what also comes to mind then is is the word "indigeneity" serving us, or indigenous serving us, and and this um, and the movements that all of us, as a whole, as as you know, a group, like, just does it it serve to be using this word in particular, and then leaving it to be open to interpretation or not. Yeah.
0: Traces of history, Patrick Wolf, is so good because he looks at the, at the way race is constructed differently in different places, right? Like blackness is constructed. We've talked with uh, your friend Marina about how blackness is, is constructed in Brazil and how it works in North America and how it works in, in different places because it all works. It works differently, but to the same purpose. So, you know, and I think indigeneity, it works differently in different places, but to the same purpose. It works, you know, you know, colonialism works to sever us from the land, to sever us from each other, you know, to sever our relationships. I'm just writing, you know, I was just writing a bit about, you know, the Cree understandings uh, of kinship networks and, and how many mothers you had, you know, when it's tied up in the language, right? Like your, your mother's sisters are also your mother's. And then your father's brothers are also your father's and then their spouses are also your mother's and father's. Cause if they're married to your father, then that, you know, like these kind of intricate webs of relationships and those things all get separate, you know, on our connection to land because you know, the colonial powers are very mobile. They're moving around all over the place. So they're moving us around all over the place. And then like, I'm reading this book right now that Carrie had recommended, uh, lose your mother. Um, about you know, you know she heard the, the author's trip home to Ghana and 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 how heartbreaking it was because you go looking for home and realizing that that's not home and I just finished Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall and she's talking about real you know having to come to terms with her seeds may have been you know left Africa but her roots are here that this really is home So then that's, you know, so then thinking about being indigenous and diaspora not having that same connection to land, but having that kind of fraught relationship with colonialism. I don't know. And I'm thinking too about the ways that we define even, you know, tomorrow night, we're going to be talking about refusing patriarchy because everything exists in opposition to colonialism, right? Like indigeneity to a certain degree. We weren't indigenous before the colonists got here. I was Ojibwe, <clears throat> Joy's ancestors were Lakota, Troy was Sammy, like, you, you, you know, like, we were ourselves, we didn't have this collective identity that placed us in opposition to another collective identity, we were ourselves. And if you were our enemies, chances were we called you little snakes, that seems to be what we called everybody. So, you, you, so whatever identity, it's it's like, you know, queer identities, you know, existing in, in counterpoint To a binary that just doesn't work it doesn't work for anybody and so people have to keep but that doesn't fit me i just keep thinking about how we keep identifying ourselves in opposition to something Mm -hmm. and i don't know that that serves us but i don't know what the alternative is because we do need something some kind of coherent way of thinking about ourselves in opposition and i think that's okay to exist in opposition to something that should be
2: opposed. It, it's so. That makes it sense. it, it that does. Really it does. <laughs> it really does, Patty. I I know for me in particular, it's so interesting how some of the ways that you and I, outside of this space, have some of these very similar thoughts. Um, I I I've almost been having the same kind of. Process going on in my own um, mind about how do I relate to my beingness as a woman of the diaspora, you know, a Black woman that has been just kind of left here or plumped here, planked here, I guess, I don't know, um, and how that interrelates to my beingness, to being whole and also relating it back to the the colonial space that I have had to adjust to in my thinking. Um, I've been doing a lot of study recently on a man called Kevin Samuels, and he's been uh, approaching this topic from what we would have considered a a Meninism-type standpoint. But there were some arguable facts in the way that he was breaking some things down that has caused me to have to question how I stand in my feminist, because I kind of consider myself a bit of a feminist, in my feminist stance and how this itself has become a way that we have created diversion and division between ourselves as men and women, the idea of the masculine and the feminine, and then how that exists in the non-binary or binary space. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is all of these different isms, all of these, these structures that have been created really feed into our way of being separated. And with the separation, it allows the system to keep feeding itself. I I almost feel like we have to start to really examine the liminal spaces that exist, trying to find the commonalities, but at least allow for our specialness, that individual part of who we are to stand. Because as you mentioned, Patty, being Ojibwe versus being Cree, I I feel there's some, there's such beauty there. Right. And like, i know that i believe that when we when we just classify it under one thing it it helps but it doesn't does that make sense and i'm really just caught in that right now like i know that i've been trying to process that and and do we need some radical acceptance that goes along with that understanding we, we are different and special and that specialness is what makes us unique and rich and full in the space of our togetherness
3: it's, this is I'm, 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 i love this conversation because just like last time as i was sitting here listening to this i'm getting so many ideas this phenomenon that we have whether it be as indigenous people or as members of any of our indigenous nations or as racialized other or as women or as lgbtq or as a whatever group or groups one belongs to, and then being treated as a member of that group. If I define myself as indigenous, then I'm defining myself in opposition to colonization. Uh, and I'm erasing all kinds of other important things. Defining oneself in opposition to patriarchy is, is opposing something. But we, we have to oppose these things, I think, like you said, Patty. And we can't, there's also a sense, a certain degree to which we can't, you can't help it. I mean, I'm, I was thinking of, of um, France Fanon and his, his essay on the fact of blackness. And when he was growing up in the Caribbean, he really didn't think of himself as black. That was sort of an abstract, weird thing. He thought of himself as educated from the from the privileged classes, and and to a certain degree as French. And then he goes to Paris to study, and and he's walking down the street, and this little this little girl is holding your mom's hand and points and says, "Look, a black man." And that's um that's when he you know he realizes. That he can't—he is black, and he can't escape it because people won't let him escape. That's—that's not—he's that always identified or interpolated as that. And if we're interpolated as as women or as queer or as indigenous or as whatever whatever groups we may we may be identified as, we can't just pretend that we're not. I mean, we can't. And so, and, and I think, like you said, Patty, sometimes it's worth fighting. Um, I, I, mean, if I can tell. Say, go back to the story I always like to fall back on stories but in my own existence you know my mom's white American and she went over to Norway and married my dad and we I was there for a time and then there been in the U.S. for a time and in the U.S. you know I grew up speaking both English and Norwegian I speak English pretty much without an accent I look white and I get a lot of white privilege in the U.S. as long as I don't mind people not knowing anything about my my indigenous culture I have a much different situation than, than my Sami relatives in Sápmi. uh begin to feel like maybe I, I shouldn't, shouldn't be calling myself hundred percent Sa- Sami. And then I go back and go to university in South and experience the, the vicious anti-Sami racism directed at me. And there's nothing that secures you in your own. There's nothing that secured me in my Sami identity as much as being, being harassed for being Sami, being, being, you know, threatened physically. That, that just makes you like, yeah, I guess I am because it's, because it's not fun. And I, I would rather not be in this position right now, you know? Um, and, and uh, I think, that's one of the reasons for these alliances, but they also are alliances. Indigenous, these these are we're a bunch of different groups that have common cause and can learn from each other and help each other. I feel like it. What
0: does solidarity look like, Joy? No, I'm asking Joy. Sorry. What does solidarity <laughs> look like? I know you guys rhyme. I thought I've been thinking about that. I'm trying joy
2: guys try,
1: You guys rhyme. I don't have awesome glasses. I kind of <laughs> noticed yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of thinking about, like, you know, I'm like, this is the resistance, like, we're a resistance. <laughs> and so, because I always liken it back to, like, you know, some sort of weird sci-fi, um you know, thing. But Solidarity, it's interesting, so as we weave through this topic, I'm thinking about, like, you know, indigeneity and land. And I saw a point by um, Carrington Christmas a few days ago, mm-hmm. and so, and she mentioned that, you know, like, not all Indigenous people are tied to land because many of us are in cities and urban centers. So what does that look like? And so when I saw um, Daniel's uh, tweet, you know, his chain, I was kind of like, I need to trouble that for a little bit because a bunch of us are removed from land and relations too. But at the same time, it's like, what does that relationship look like within cities? um so I just wanted to say that before I forgot that. What does solidarity look like? Oh my gosh um I can't even think of one way it looks like because again, like when we have like indigenous we talk about indigenous as the you know overall say within North America, and I limited that for sake of um brevity, right like you have like you know black indigenous people you have like I know a guy who's Cambodian and he's indigenous, right, and so it's like, what does that look like? How do we manage that and these folks are that i'm referring to are like you know indigenous to north america right and so it's like so when i see discussions about like um what does you know kinship look like what does relations look like what does relationship to the land it's like what does that mean for a black indigenous person who didn't necessarily have that kind of uh relationship for various reasons whether it be slavery whether it be um Racism, right? Whether it being chased off the land, you know, at, as say some of my relatives were, right? And so this is the thing. So it's like, how do we address solidarity when we don't even ha- when we tend to think of Indigenous as like you know First Nations, Métis, um, Inuit, right? And just like one shape or form, you know, kind of brown veering towards the white sort of thing, right? And so in Canada at least, and so and when we're far more likely to accept someone like Michelle Latimer, no questions asked. But then when I kind of stroll up and say, hey, I'm Indigenous, we're like, no, nah, you're not, right? And so you're from Toronto and your hair is curly. It's not now, but <laughs> that sort of thing, right? And so solidarity, I mean, I can tell you what it doesn't look like based on the past couple of weeks. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get into that. But, you know, it doesn't look like List. Um It doesn't look like, you know supporting list who, you know, are largely Black Indigenous people or even run by people who are largely anti-Black, right? And so, um, but yeah, it is a wide and varied topic from being a political analytic to like, you know, having a relationship with the land to having relationships with our relations, right? And so... I couldn't even begin to start thinking about what that looks like, but I do resonate with Carrie's point of just kind of like, you know, having those separate identities, but, you know, still coming together for that resistance too. And so, because we need to kind of have, you know, those differences because someone who is Anishinaabe has a different relationship to land as someone who is Lakota right so it's you know and me as someone who is Lakota and living in Toronto it's kind of like okay and I kind of meander through these spaces I'm like should I be having this relationship with the land like my people are like way out in the plains but here I am so you know it's kind of like patching through what it is because we've been shifted around by colonialism. Take it away sorry
0: that's the reality of it right like boy is living in the pacific northwest which is about as far as he can get from <laughs> family land um you know i'm you know i am have anishinaabe i've talked about this now have like a massive territory i'm still within there's territory <laughs> but it's mitchislaugick Nishnabeg. it's not ojibwe right my mm-hmm. people are northwestern ontario It's a 24-hour drive to get up there, right? I could be in Florida by the time I get there. (laughs) (laughs) It could be a lot warmer and not among black flies, (laughs) you know, but, you, you know, but in terms of relocation, right, like in the U.S., relocation was government policy that went beyond boarding schools. They were, you know, shutting down, you know, in the allotment period, they shut down reservations. They were moving people into cities, You you know, kind of getting them off the reserve and moving them into, you you know, from, you know, from the Midwest into the city. So you're certainly not alone in terms of being a Plains Indian living, living, living in a city. And I think that's, you know, where the writing of people like uh, Tommy Orange is so valuable, you know, that kind of fiction where he's writing about urban Indians. That's 80% of us.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. That's 80% 80 of us who are living in cities far from our home territories. You know, I see, you know, people who are are saying, you, you know, you know, they're Ojibwe and they're Lakota and they're made, you know, like they've got this. And so then who are we? Because we didn't grow up in these kinship networks that tell us who we are. We grew up disconnected. We know because like you said, Troy, like from the time I was little, I grew up in my white family, but from the time I was little, I was the native kid. I was the Indian. Even though I was surrounded by white people, you know, grew up in a blizzard, like Tammy talked to we talked to Tammy, you know, growing up in a blizzard, a blizzard of whiteness. Um, you know, uh, you know, kids didn't want to play with me because of my skin color, which, you know, was bonkers to me as a little kid. You're not playing with my skin color. Oh, okay. okay. You know, I don't know, this is the story of my mother tells um, you know, so other people imposed that on me. So I couldn't run away from it if I wanted to. When I got to high school, I let people think I was Italian because that was easier. And we talk about passing privilege. Um, but passing contains an element of deceit and deception. Because when you're passing, you're not telling people who you are. You're deliberately withholding that information. You're allowing them to think that there's some, that you're something that you're not. And you know that. And that's corrosive. And yet, you, you know, this idea of you know, being Indigenous is really freaking complicated. And it doesn't need to be, damn colonialism just ruins everything. <laughs> so what would refusal look like? Because that's also what I'm thinking about. Because tomorrow night when we're talking about patriarchy, I started off talking about resisting patriarchy. And then I changed my mind to refusing. Because to me, that sounds, we talk, we've, talk, uh, we've talked about re- the politics of refusal, which is just, you know what, I'm not going to engage with that anymore. I'm just going to build this thing over here. (laughs) I'm just going to refuse to deal with that because that does not speak to me. That does not help me. That does not contain my life. What would it look like to exist as Cree, Lakota, Black, Sami, Ojibwe, and refuse colonialism? what would that look like, hmm, something. Right, now we're getting used to it,
2: now
1: we're to it, my
0: existing in opposition to it, right? <laughs> what would refusal look like? What would I, that, like, might that help us? I don't know, this is the new train that my brain is going down right with line.
2: Well, you know what, I, I love it, actually. I, I think you're onto something. Um, as we, you, you, you brought back that reminder of the politics of just simply deciding not to engage. And for me, you know, th- this conversation is bringing up so many different things. For example, Troy, when you mentioned going home and, and hitting um, such resistance when, when you go back, you know, you can't deny you your being Sammy. It, it makes me think about when I go home to Antigua, when I go visit my my um, my mother's family in Antigua, it is absolutely black. You know the way that my cousins and my aunties and all of my people back there exist. They, every teacher they've ever had is black. Every storekeeper is black. All their doctors, lawyers, everybody is black and dark skin black. You know, there's nothing. The very little mix has happened in that small island the sense of being in your know is so radically different I have realized in my time than what it is for me I I I know my blackness and I'm a black woman and I I have a, a lived experience that makes me guard in that space right whereas when I am there it just is and you live and you exist in that space. And it gets me thinking about this idea of just not engaging. What would it be if I could potentially create a space like that here? So for me, this boils down to being able to kin- connect and create economic bases. So where I can shop in stores that are, you know, Black, West Indian. You know, just my culture experienced in those realms. And we also know that that economic power makes a difference. I think I read a statistic recently that in North America, um, Black people, the money stays in our community for about six hours before it is extended out into other communities, so the dollar does not cycle, even though we are one of the powerhouses for an economic base. Our dollar is so strong, and not only that we normally create culture you know a lot black women you know we, we, we kind of bear some of that that creativity that Panache comes in in North America. Um, It comes off of the backs of us. And so partly when I think about how we, how maybe we can disengage in some ways is, is about that is about creating our own little nuggets, you know, creating our own little niche spaces that allow us afford us to tap into our own uniquenesses as who we are, and then share. But really starting to create those bases. So um, for example, as I said, the, I think in particular, we still have to exist in the system. So to me, it is coming into the self-awareness of that uniqueness, creating um, economic basis for that. For me, I think that's a fundamental, especially in my community. We, we just don't hold on to that dollar. Um, creating some of that economic base by our shops, create shops that are or are, are, are economic foundations like grocery stores in our communities. We know we have food deserts in most of the communities that we exist in. Buy our own grocery stores, have outlets, especially that focus on our. Um, image. We don't control our black image. Nobody, like that is controlled by others. If we could get um, our own, and and I think it's happening more with like social media, with people being able to hold their YouTube channels and creating our own sources of who we are, how we want to be seen. But for me, that's where it begins. Two things, money and also um, controlling our, our image. I think those two will be
3: powerful. I think really powerful, and I think um, I really like what you said. You know, even in the mid- even when we're in the midst of, the, of our refusal, we can't. You know, I, it's, it's one thing to refuse colonialism; it's another to pretend it doesn't exist. Because um, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm either going to be de- increasingly sort of psychotic and just detached from reality, or or I'm going to have to, you know, do take specific measures like invest in, in, in invest in our own communities, um, take control of our own images, those sorts of things, which are which are still there's still acts of resistance but they're acts that are focused not so much on negating the 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 oppressor as on empowering ourselves and i think i think uh, yeah i mean for, it's harder for for and i'm not at all alone there's so many like like as mentioned before so many indigenous people who are living away from our from our native land uh it's I can't I can't live a Sami life surrounded only by Sami people uh here. And nor nor would I want to. I'm so enriched by living by so many, around so many other people, but I can certainly make an effort to to in, include and celebrate and and develop and engage in Sami culture in my life and some, and Sami Sami ways of being and knowing. Um and oh, it's so much easier now that we can talk to people every day back home too. <laughs> but uh <laughs> but, but the part of it is also taking that same way of relating to to people and to place and relating to the people around me and the place that I am at, not in a possessive way' cause this isn't my this isn't my land i'm on I'm on uh, land here this is this is their land, but I can relate to the land in terms of respect and in terms of a a living relationship with a living entity. So this would be different if I'm back home this is like this is where this is where my ancestors' bones are for the last, you know, for the last 20,000 years or, and, and uh, that's not here, but, but it's still, it's still, you know, a different way of relating to that. And then I think this is back where the indigenous is so important because knowing and working with and interacting with indigenous people here keeps me Sami, even though they're not Sami. (laughs) Um, if I were only if I were only interacting with with and I of course I interact with settlers and, and with other with other non indigenous people too. But if I were never interacting with other indigenous people, you get dislocated. And then it comes all down to you and as an individual as opposed to being part of communities. And so there are different types of communities. You know, be a relationship with people is a kind of community too, even if you're not part of part of of, the, of that group. Mm-hmm. I
0: want to hear more about that. How relationships with other indigenous
3: people keep you Sami <laughs> because uh, I and this works much easier for me than it would for my half-brother because my half-brother uh, his mother is, is from South Asia and he would never be he would never be seen as white um, a, a white person who speaks English American English fluently if all I hung out with were were white english-speaking Americans I I would be part I could be still very much participating in this sort of inner negation of part of who I am and this sort of alienation of, by saying, yeah, I'm just one of you and, and knowing that there's something that I'm suppressing something that I'm cutting off and that sort of inner injury. But I would also just be having that culture reinforced all the time. Those, those become the cultural norms. Those, those become the exceptions. And if I'm also hanging out with uh, not people of color who are, who are not indigenous, but, uh, but then especially indigenous people who who have analogous relationships to their place. Uh, they're not the same. Piala people don't relate to, to to this land exactly the same way as, as we um uh Markzami relate to our mountain valleys and our coasts. Um, but there's some there's some analogies, there's some there's some some patterns that I recognize. And there's also this humor that I recognize. <laughs> and I recognize what it's like to be in a group that is at home and is views, viewed as outsiders by the majority of the population who lives there. It's like, you know, we're sitting right here where we belong and you look at us like we're outsiders. And I see that in, in my native friends here uh, and my native colleagues. Uh, and, uh, and that's like, yeah, I, I know what that's like. I, I, I get that. That's, um, that's a shared, a shared reality, even if it's from two different places. And so, and then having other types of relationships to place other types of relationships to people and community being reinforced by the people around me, other other ones than the sort of relationship of domination and ownership and, and alienability that I can just sell this land and buy other land and that sort of thing. That makes those things less automatic. It, it, it's a way of of making sure that I don't just sort of slip into this this colonizer mindset or colonized mindset. That's
1: really helpful. It goes back really to
3: relationship,
0: I think it's really helpful to some of the the some of the things that have popped up in the chat about feeling you know, kind of disconnected because, you know, their relations are so scattered. Um, Yeah, I'm going to have to sit with that. That's really helpful. Thank you, (laughs) Frank.
1: I feel similar because like, again, like how many local people are in Toronto, right? And so, and just being, and I mean, if we're going to pan-indigenize, you know, the sense of humor is certainly, you know, something we share, you know, across the world. It's like, yeah, colonialism, ah, right? And so we are able to laugh at our misery so well, Um, but yeah, I really, i relate to that and feel that and it's it's about I mean it's kind of veering into another topic which is about relations and such right and so and again going back to what Carrington said saying like you know um, my Indigenous community is also an urban community and it's many communities right and so I'm paraphrasing really horribly but I can't remember the tweet but nevertheless right like and she's like who's someone to call that invalid because she is McMack and I believe she lives she lives in Ontario somewhere I can't quite pinpoint where but um um, yeah, so it's like relations and what keeps us, you know, um, Indigenous or Lakota or Sami, even when we're far from home.
0: I was thinking, Carrie, about what you had said about controlling our image, because I was having conversations really hmm. recently about, um, about social media and about our presence on social media. Um, because, of course, we don't own these things. Right? I mean, we're here, like, we can all share that that Trump got bounced off every social media platform in existence. But another one of my Native friends has just got another 30-day suspension on Facebook. So we can all laugh about it happening to Trump, but we know that it's more likely to happen to us. You know, that you, you know, the, the algorithms are not set up, you know, for those who live in, you know, in opposition to colonialism. The things we say, like what happened with you know um, the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls posts on Instagram. I don't think I, I don't think there was any benefit to Instagram to deliberately silence those posts. I think, but what I think is more likely is that it, there was it hit some kind of algorithm. It didn't stop to consider the context of these posts because it's just an algorithm, and so then because they, there was some commonality, it bounced all of them, and that's what happens, right? Like you set up a rule. And that's all these things are, right? You set up a rule that affects, every, you know, that's everyone equally, but it's not everyone equally. It never is. Whoever sets the rules determines, you know, and so, and, and when we do these things like on social media and, you know, we're also in a sense performing, performing indigeneity for, for clicks and likes and views. And, you know, we're, we're performing a type of ourselves that's palatable to the people that are going to pay money for it. So it's a two-edged thing is, you know, you know and like, like joy, I live on Twitter. You know, so I'm very much out there, and, you, you know, and I think about it because, you know, I've got a book coming out next year. And so I want to make sure that I have a big reach. And, and so then you think about that. Well, how now am I now performing things is what I'm saying authentic or am I, you, you know, so I'm, you know, you're kind of constantly balancing all of that stuff, because it's right, it's space that we assert ourselves in. And I think we should be there. I'm not arguing against it, obviously. Um, But we also need to be careful about it. And particularly right now in COVID, most of my conversations with Gary, when I'm talking about indigenous things, I'm lately quoting social media people, people that I know on Twitter, I am not quoting the women in my drum group. Because we never see each other. So my local community is becoming more and more remote. Mm -hmm. And my soul, and and then there's, we lose the accountability of our communities. Because, I mean, we can, Twitter mobs, we can take each other down all the time, but that's not real accountability. (laughs) We can rail about the writer of the list all day long, but that's not real. accountability.
1: You know, but you I, know, the real rant.
0: accountability happens in the relationships that we form. In the, <laughs> I,
2: <laughs> I think you said a lot. You said a lot. It, it. I'm like you're in my head. Like you're so <laughs> what you are saying, because I too have been very much thinking about that. Thinking about. My image, thinking about how I am showing up on social media. I, I'm not a, a, a Twitter um, connoisseur like most of the three of you are, and I'll, I was really thinking about why. But why I think I'm, I I I shy a little bit away from Twitter is because I think it's so polarizing. You've got you know those 140 characters to speak your mind and make that point And it's riveting that has to, well, you hope it's riveting and captures the imagination and then it moves on. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that flow, getting out there means you've really gotta be in that larger than life space and and keeping ourselves balanced there. And that's the thing about what I believe social media has done. It is this beautiful space that allows us to be out there to get our points across. But I just got shadow banned funnily enough on Insta. Yes, I'm a cool kid, but the cool kid got um, you know, put in Insta jail for a minute simply because I was doing a post that was about black women and trying to empower them. And I, I'm still not sure what in the algorithm didn't like what I was saying. And I know I touch controversial stuff. So as an intimacy and sex coach, I talk about some things, but for, for whatever reason, I was really careful about this particular post as I put it up and it got shadow banned. For me, what that taught me or what I, I remember being sobered by was the fact that we have this platform to be able to speak our truth and our minds and and create all of this wonderful stuff, but it really can be controlled by the very fraction that we are choosing to resist against. Mm -hmm. And so that in itself means we have to conform to it. And I I remember wanting to stomp my feet. I'm a youngest child and I so wanted to go into temper tantrum mode over this one, Um, but But it it was sobering in that as well, that as much as um, we talk about wanting to resist, so I'm going to bring it back to that, that idea of resistance and being in it, I still have to conform to some degree to show up, to be able to use this platform to move my voice forward. And and I find that just a a, a real cognitive dissidence for myself. You know, I, I wish we owned a Twitter platform. You know what I mean? Because that's where the true freedom lies. I almost feel like, you know, we're, we're just getting a little loan of this space. And when, when whatever and whoever is ready, it all just comes crashing down. And then let's not talk about
1: when the AI becomes a lot.
0: go back to the list. <laughs> right, if we who's going to gatekeep who gets to be a member.
1: And it's interesting, right, because you touched on two things. You touched on the rules, right, and so, and the rules applying to everyone equally, right, and so, and when we think about what indigeneity is, you know, The rules don't apply to everyone equally because it's like, okay, well, I need to see your pedigree. And it's like, well, that doesn't happen for Black Indigenous people. Like, I don't have a, you know, like slavery. (laughs) There's just nothing, right? And so, and, you know, I, Birth certificates like so many of my family were were not allowed to have birth certificates, you know, until fairly recently, like in the last hundred years. So that's not happening. And of course, uh, and you mentioned it before, Patty, I, I think last week that like, even just proximity to black people at a certain point meant that you were Black, whether you were or not, right? And so a lot of Indigenous people were labeled Black, right? Because, I don't know, they looked at a Black person at one point or another. And so, and this is the thing, right? And so then we have the gatekeeping list, you have the gatekeeping Twitter, which, you know, I still am very much in love with, but nevertheless, it is, you know, it is a lone space. And I mean, and Again, and you have people who are, you know, okay, well, I'm going to make a list off of these rules that don't affect everyone equally because we're, I'm angry about the Gwen Benaways or I'm angry about the Michelle Latimers or whatever, but it's like, but then, you know, I'm also kind of racist on this <laughs> stuff too. So, you know, and it's like the rules don't apply. They can't possibly, like if you're trying to find a black person's, um, what's that word I'm looking for? Family tree on an- ancestry it's not going to happen. Like I looked, I tried for my own family. Right. And so, and a lot of it is still oral. And, you know, it's interesting because Daniel had a thread about uh, lore this uh, today. And so I'm like, but again, what does lore mean to different communities? Right. Like for white communities, like, yes, you had an indigenous ancestor, like, you know, 400 years ago that, you know, is that lore or not, right? As opposed to like, you know, a Black family, you know, and I'm speaking largely to my experience with this um, Black American, right? And so, you know, is it lore? Because that's all we had. Like, was it guarded more closely? Was it, you know, held more um, carefully, right? Because again, then you had the community. Con- connection that also held you uh, accountable that is the word I'm looking for because it was a very tight-knit community and so someone would say oh no that wasn't your grandparent blah 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 blah, right and so it's really interesting to kind of look at the rules and the gatekeeping and just how they change based on you know your, your skin color like it is just so and you know these rules that were created by white people that say you know you are one drop black you are you know you're not indigenous, right? Because we want to get rid of you and we want to create more of you, right? So yeah, my mind is being bended again, but I don't know where I just took us. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> You're also talking about relationships and the way certain relationships were constructed to serve the needs of, you know, the way certain relate, you know, communities were split apart or concentrated in certain places and pushed aside were, you know, because yeah, family lore would be different in a history where families were disconnected over and over and over again. Who's holding that collective knowledge when, you know, when, like in lose your mother, where, you know, her great grandmother gets goes off with the family and then winds up getting sold for gambling debts and never even had a chance to say goodbye to a spouse or child that might that may have been back, you know, on the plantation, just oh, gambling debts. Here, I guess, I guess we're selling you. Like, h- how do you hold collective
2: memory? I love that because also what comes up in that is the collective memory becomes so rooted in the space of the trauma. Yeah, and um, I found after reading that book, after reading Lose Your Mother, that I I I had this wistfulness about the faith mm. of it, right. Because we all, I know most of us Black folk, um, hold out this dream of, you know, putting our feet, planting our feet, especially in Ghanaian soil and, and going to the slave castles and, and knowing that this might have been the last space of our ancestry. And and in this book, when she recounts her version of what happened in that space, you know, there were some some holes for her you know some real truths came up about how while this was the story of her coming this was a place of where she came from the her slavery being a slave was an erasure of who she was and it got me thinking patty and 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 joe joy and troy it got me thinking about my own family history and so recently i've been talking to my mother because all of my aunties and uncles, you know, of my family, especially my Antiguan family, they're getting a little bit older. And um, I recognize how they have been the gatekeepers of this history. And th- they, they ensured that our legacy as a family was, was whole and real. You know, they got us together. They would tell us these stories. And as they're getting older, I'm seeing that my generation, especially with COVID, we are a little more disconnected. Like my cousins and I, even though we, most of us were raised together, um, you know, I'm noticing this, we're not getting together in the same way. And so one of the things that I, I'm playing with and realizing I'm feeling called to is, is to take some reclamation that I think one of the ways that we can offer resistance is in reclamation of that history. Um, I, I really want to do some, um, you know, recordings of the stories that my my mom tells and my dad tells, sorry, and my, well, yeah, my dad too. I would love to do my Bayesian side, but my dad tells. Get the, the stories of my aunties and uncles. And what I thought was so interesting when I mentioned it to my mom, she said to me, you know what, Carrie, that would be amazing because I don't know very much about my father, her father, my grandfather's history. They, are, um, they came from Haiti, and I think it was my grandfather's mother that emigrated from Haiti at, over to Antigua. So all this time, I thought we were originally and Tegan in that space and come to find out that's not necessarily that, I got that Haitian blood in me too. And so what would it be? And I think there's, there's some real um, power in us being able to do that, to, to, to take it back as much as we can, even if it is just from that oral history. That oral history is powerful. You know, um, in Lose Your Mother, Sadea mentions that, you know, we all want that root story. I I remember reading Alex Haley's Roots when I was nine years old. It was one of the biggest books I ever, it was the biggest book I had read up until that. Yeah, like this, Right. Thousand and a thousand and thirty pages, I think it is. And exactly. and I remember reading that story and it was just like for me, I was like, how did he know all of that? And that's one of the spaces that sparked my curiosity of wanting to know. And so I think there's a responsibility, if we can, to know that truth and to try and gather it. And that in itself is a powerful way for us to offer resistance in this space as well
3: yes exactly a thousand times that it's a it's um it's a way it's resistance but it's not resistance that's focused at the colonizer or the oppressor it's reclaiming stories what could be more empowering than that than reclaiming your stories this is our modernity um some years ago i i got into an argument with a with a senior faculty member at, a, at, a, at the University of Oslo and I was just a junior faculty member at a tiny college in the Midwest of the U.S. and he was talking about indigenous people having you know so many indigenous people haven't experienced modernity this is this is our modernity is being alienated being fragmented from Who, who's experienced that more than the African diaspora of being being alienated being being cut off from um that's our modernity and uh to fight that by reclaiming and by and by and by owning our own cultures and it's a, it's a real important thing for me to do that because there are it is a living language and there are people who are native speakers and when i can have conversations with them without having to go to norwegian that's going to be you know a really important moment for me right now it's more that i can read what people write because i can take my time and, and and parse it out and stuff yeah but um but i also think that that we need to you know our cultures are all changing too. And, and we need to own the things I'm, I'm working with, a, I've got a colleague, uh, his name is Caskey Russell. He's Clinkett, And he and I are, are both big, big, uh, soccer football, as we call it everywhere else in the world, fans working on a book on indigenous soccer. this is like, um, because, uh, it's not that it, the way that we do different thing, you know, we, we talk, we have people teaching indigenous, indigenous literature, indigenous novels, indigenous films, um, uh we certain indigenous cultures did have writing before colonization we saw me weren't among that them we didn't have writing uh before before colonization so it was the colonizers who who taught us literacy but we have our own literature we have our own our own stories and our own sensibilities and i think we can do that with in cities we can be who we are and be doing new things too as long as we have those connections and and i think those stories are still out there you've got to record those stories you've got to keep them it would be not just for you, because that's going to be a resource for so many people.
2: Speaking on that point, one of the things that I realized is how little stories come out of the West Indies. You know, I, I started kind of digging around a little bit. And I think there's only one book that I know of that talks about uh, an Antiguan family that uh, trace back their history of one of their relatives and that he could fi- and I think he had been a slave like one of the last slaves or just out of it and that's one book like I can't find very much um, in that space so to me I recognize there's opportunity uh, for it and and maybe there is a book or two here we'll see <laughs> I'm looking that's forward to that.
0: Tiresome talking about your book it won't just be me <laughs> Okay. Um, this has been really good. This has been really, really good. I am always so grateful for you guys when you spend time with us.
3: Thank you so much for inviting me back and enjoy. It's a pleasure to, to meet you like this.
1: <laughs> it's nice to meet you too, off of Twitter. And so I'm sure you just watch me rant like most people. <laughs> <It's> so... <laughs>
2: Whenever I do dip in joy, you give me joy. And every time I, dip in, I you give me such joy. Yeah. So I love it. And,
0: <laughs>
1: and one I always of love the that.
0: things one of the things I learned recently is that caribou and reindeer are the same animal, which I had no idea. Yeah. I don't even remember how I learned that. Um, but it just kind of blew my mind that caribou and reindeer are the same, which makes Troy and I kind of cousins
2: because I'm <laughs> caribou clan. So.
1: Okay. <laughs> so oh, I think that, that was on Twitter and too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and
2: now you know. See, I did not know that either. And right there in front of them. Um, but then I saw
0: that uh, caribou and reindeer are the same animals, and that was the first thing I thought of. Was whoa, me And Cor- Troy and I yeah. are
3: Northern <laughs> people. I mean, that that's an animal that does really well up north, and, and so yeah, those of us who who come from up there. Learn to live with them.
0: Well, it makes sense, right? You tip the globe, and different parts of the world look related. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You, know, you can see it. There's no reason why the globe has to sit the way it does. That's really neat. I, when we were up in a Paloe, um, one Inuit fellow that asked me, he asked me if I was Ojibwe, and I said, yeah. And he says, yeah, we look alike because our men used to kidnap your women all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's that pan, you know, humor. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It was just so weird and random, but anyway, thank you guys so much thank for you. being part of this and giving me so much, giving me so much to think about. These episodes are always like masterclasses for me. Right? <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much, <laughs> thank you
2: guys. Till we meet again, because I'm sure we will, in some way, somehow. Bye.
0: You can find Medicine for the Resistance on Facebook and the website, www.med4r.com. Don't forget to rate, share, and support us by buying us a coffee at www.ko-fi.com slash Medicine for the Resistance. You can also support the podcast and so much more by going to patreon.com slash you can follow Patty on Twitter at G-I-N-D-A-A-N-I-S and at Donish.ca, d a a n i s.ca. You can follow Carrie at K-E-R-R-Y-O-S-C-I-T-Y, that's Curiosity, and find her online at CarrieGoring.com. Our theme is Fearless.